This is the show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week is a new adventure with topics ranging from the most serious and cutting edge to the most lighthearted and entertaining. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Richard Solomon, Taking Care of Business, 88.1 FM, WCWP.org, on podcast, on YouTube, and many platforms. We are continuing our coverage on numerous topics to aid our listeners and all of the people who are out there struggling with the pandemic. All right, today, for this segment, we are going to be talking with Mark Carney, a noted attorney, on the topic of criminal law. As you can imagine, the criminal court system is really not functioning uh, as it was before all of the shutdown and shelter-in-place orders. So let's let's take a quick review of the criminal law and criminal court system. There's, there's arrest, there's arraignment, there's bail. Let's talk about that. And welcome. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Uh, well, let's talk about the 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 as we call them courts of initial impression, which are your city courts and your town courts. So when someone is arrested, uh, if they're arrested in a particular town, uh, they'll be taken to the local town court. Uh, they'll be arraigned. Uh, where bail, bail will be set uh, and uh, and uh, determination of release or not release. What is arraignment and what is bail? Cause... Arraignment is your first appearance before the court. The court will read the charges to you or what you are charged with. They will ascertain whether you understand those charges. Uh, they'll take an initial impression as to whether you are competent uh, to understand the charges and why you are there. Uh, they'll ascertain whether or not you're going to retain your own counsel or whether you need the assistance of a signed counsel or a public defender. Uh, they will then refer you to that person. Uh, they then have to turn uh, to whether or not <clears throat> whether or not bail is appropriate. Uh, as you know, the bail laws have changed in New York State, and certain cases uh, we're now with certain non-violent cases require uh, a court to either release that person or uh, place factors on the record which would warrant the non-release. Uh, and uh, then uh, the, the court will then determine the bail status. The court will then um, adjourn the case for that person to come back with counsel um, or schedule it if it's a felony, schedule it for what is known as a felony hearing. Uh, what is a felony? Because that's what they're entitled to. What's a, a felony hearing? hearing is a felony hearing is a is a preliminary hearing for the court to determine uh, two things: whether or not there is probable cause to believe that a crime, a felony, has been committed, and probable cause to believe that the defendant is the person who committed that crime. So remember, probable cause uh, is not uh, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, it is a fifty-one percent belief. Uh, that uh, that the charge uh, is appropriately brought, that there's jurisdiction for the charge to be brought, um, and and that this is the person who committed that felony. So it's a much less standard than uh, what would be uh, a trial standard of beyond uh, a reasonable doubt. For conviction. Correct. Okay. So in the process between uh, arraignment and bail, and maybe this felony, felony hearing, depending on the circumstances, and the actual trial, how is evidence exchanged? How do they? How does the prosecution present 
to the defense attorney their proof or do they they hold back some of it like how does that all work because you know we, we watch well, a lot uh, of television movies but that may be not necessarily reflective of you know real circumstances new york state now has new discovery laws uh, which uh, provide that the defendant is now entitled to uh, his discovery his or her discovery uh, within 20 days of the arrest uh, there are still some uh, Rosario materials, uh, which are sculptory materials, which uh, uh, can be withheld uh, by the prosecution until a later date. But for the most part, uh, here uh, in Erie County uh, and in, uh, in surrounding counties, uh, the prosecution is doing their best to get all of the evidence against the defendant out to the defense counsel within uh, within uh, 20 days of arraignment. And does that include surveillance tapes, witness statement? Is that like everything? That includes that includes any surveillance, any witness, uh, any written witness documents, notice of witnesses that would include fingerprints, that would include uh, lab tests, lab results, uh, that would include uh, any DNA testing uh, that's available at the time. Etc. And then, when all this is done, uh, most cases are, are there plea arrangements, or has that work in terms of the timeline? Is there usually offers made in most cases, or not really, or varies? Yeah, again, you know, most of your cases, probably close to ninety three, ninety four percent of your criminal cases are resolved with a plea. Um, most competent criminal attorneys. Uh, would never think about playing a felony until after they've received uh, the evidence uh, so they can review it with their client, determine whether it's valid or not, and then, of course, uh, try to work out some type of a uh, a pre-indictment plea. So with a felony, you're entitled to a felony hearing, or in the alternative, the district attorney has the right to waive, or the defense counsel has the right to waive that felony hearing and move the matter over to grand jury. Uh, in New York state, if you're charged with a felony, uh, you are entitled to have your matter heard by a grand jury, which is a group of between 16 and 22 people from that county, uh, registered voters, who will hear the evidence and again, determine whether or not there is probable cause to believe that the defendant committed the crime, uh, and they would hand down what is called an indictment or a formal charge. So I have some uh, questions. Out of the 16 sure. to 22 people, what is the, how many people need to vote in favor for it to work, to carry? It's just a majority. Yeah, well, first you have to have, uh, I mean, you have to have, uh, let's assume that you have a 22-person a uh, a grand jury. You have to have a quorum. Uh, that quorum then has to, uh, it's just a majority. All right, so it would be like 12. Correct. All right. Second question. Does the defense get to counter any of the evidence that's presented to the grand jury? Is it just a one-way deal? Uh, it's a one-way deal. Uh, so what would happen is that the defense counsel would receive a notice uh, that his uh, case is being presented to the grand jury. Uh, he then has uh, the right, he, the, the defendant then has the right to appear at that grand jury proceeding and subject themselves to, uh, they can make a statement, they can, they can 
subject themselves to questions from the grand jury, questions from the district attorney. However, defense counsel cannot participate in that process. Uh, defense counsel has the right to suggest witnesses that, that may appear before the grand jury, but the grand jury process itself, for the most part, is controlled entirely by the district attorney's office. As, as a consequence, do attorneys not opt for that? Again, most attorneys would never let their client appear in a grand jury because they can't protect them. They can't control the situation. Um, most attorneys, uh, most district attorneys are not going to let, um, their, uh, the defense witnesses appear. Um, and for the most part, most defense attorneys would not put their witnesses in the grand jury again, because you can't control the questions that are asked and everything is under oath and everything is then, uh, certainly, uh, there's a stenographer present. Uh, so everything is recorded. Uh, and can be used. So you would have the ability to, uh, I hate to use the term, twist uh, the statements. But of course, any, you know, any good trial lawyer can have a witness where there's no protection, pretty much say what they want them to say. Okay, so now that we have the COVID-19 pandemic, how is this process changing? Well, as you can imagine, uh, uh, they're back like all other courts, the criminal courts are, of course, arraigning people. If you're under arrest, you have the right to be arraigned uh, within a relatively short time period. Um, you have the right to have counsel present. So they are doing arraignments of uh, defendants. Um, they are uh, they are holding um, um, these felony hearings. Now, in Erie County, we do not have a grand jury sitting. Um, uh, for obvious reasons, for COVID reasons. So the county and the state, more particularly the state, has uh, extended all orders of protection. Uh, the state has extended uh, um, CPL um, limitations on filing, and uh, you only have uh, 90 days to try a misdemeanor. You have six months to try a felony. On all these cases that were pending, uh, the court has extended those 30-30 times uh, so that the prosecution would have additional time to try their case at some point. Um, you still have the specialty courts, so you still have your domestic violence court hearing domestic violence cases, uh, at least arraignments. Um, you know, where we have trouble, Richard, is you had all of the treatment courts. Uh, as you're aware, Erie County was an innovator in various treatment courts. We had the first drug court. We had the first veterans court. Um, we had some of the first mental health courts. Um, these treatment courts are vital uh, to treat individuals um, who are trying to break drug habits, who are trying to get um, counseling for mental health issues. Um, and and these these are the courts that have not been able to meet and hopefully um, uh, we are, you know, the, the people that we're getting uh, help in these courts uh, can maintain until these courts can reopen. At some point, we're going to have to do all this information and, and t testimony virtually. And 
That's going to be very, I mean, we're going to have like almost like Zoom trials with the prosecution and how do you handle things like physical evidence and, and, and juries? Well, I, I mean, this is going to be very, very unusual. I don't think you're going to be able to do virtual criminal trials. Uh, I don't know that you're going to be able to constitutionally uh, say that a that a, uh, a defendant doesn't have the right to to sit before their jurors. Again, you know, you get into that question of of how does a judge or how does a jury, more importantly, uh, um, properly look at the the credibility and character of a witness, um, and it's very difficult to do it virtually. Yeah, and how do you? Um, how do you? And how do you get? I mean, how do jurors interact virtually? Right. I mean, and, how would they ever uh, deliberate? Right, and then how do you? And even if they're all together, how do you? How do you deliberate with all the social distancing? The rooms aren't necessarily big enough. No, the jury <laughs> rooms are not. Would are nowhere big enough uh, to to socially distance. Nor are the courtrooms, quite frankly. Right, and not only that, but when you think about it. Courtrooms involve elevators, which are closed spaces, uh, elevator buttons that you have to touch, handrails, uh, bathrooms. Uh, this is going to be very challenging. I mean, when I look at the, when I look at our Buffalo City courts, um, the district attorney's table is probably four feet from the um, prosecutor's table or the, the the defense table, which is about four feet from the witness box. Uh, which is maybe eight feet from the judge's seat, um, and and there would just be no way to to appropriately socially distance, even if you had an empty courtroom with just the defendant, the district attorney, uh, the stenographer, and the judge. Right, and then there's also questions about public access. You know, trials are supposed to be public. Maybe you know the media wants to be there. Maybe other people need to be there. You know, this is going to become very. Complicated. Are you part of any court task forces or committees that are forming or to be formed that are going to try to delve into these issues? Uh, currently, no, but I, I, do, I do know that they are putting them together now. They're putting together a criminal task force. They're putting together a family court task force, a Supreme Court task force to determine how we're going to handle um, a soft opening of the courts. Uh, which I, I presume they will do a soft opening. Um, they'll reopen uh, certain courts, but but you know we have courts. When we talk about the treatment courts, they have compliance dates. On a compliance date in a Buffalo drug court, you're going to have 50 or 60 people coming in for testing, wow. uh, um, counseling, graduations. Um, in a in a typical arraignment, you would have. 50 people present in an audience uh, for um, for arraignments of uh, defendants that are in custody. And then within that courtroom, you've got two public defenders, two district attorneys, four court officers, the judge, two clerks, and a stenographer in a space that's maybe 20 by 20. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's... And now you have all the defendants coming in, and you, and the pens that they use to hold the defendants are smaller than what they have in in jails. Well, so I I, I don't know how they're going to manage that. Right, and uh, 
And, and public safety is always a concern. And uh, the whole directive of the COVID-19 you know, rescue of all of us is to stay away from each other and stay far apart and to be isolated and shelter in place and work at home. And that's going to be very hard yeah. in these circumstances. So even even in a even in a soft opening, even if you say we're going to open some courts, not others, we're going to do, you know, thirty percent of the normal caseload. We're going to do, um, um, you know, fifty percent of a normal caseload, um, wh- which is what they're going to have to do to start. Um, understand. I'll give you an example, um, Richard. In Western New York. Um, if we have a snow day, if the courts are closed as a result of a snow day, it generally takes each courtroom, criminal, civil, family, uh, it generally takes that courtroom up to 30 days to reschedule all the cases that were scheduled for that one day. Right, because you have to spread them out. And, yeah. Well, you have to spread them out, but you have to contact different counsel. You have to arrange schedules for, from different counsel. Um, you know, if you have in a civil case, if you have six lawyers on a civil case, finding a, a day that all six lawyers are available isn't as easy as it may sound. Oh, I know that. So it, <laughs> it, it, it generally takes it generally takes the courts a while. Um, you know, uh, having my wife who is a judge, you know, we've we've had that discussion that every time we have a snow day, she'll say, "Oh." All this means is that my my clerk and my secretary and my court clerk will have to spend at least a week and a half trying to reschedule just those petitions on for that day. Uh, So if you imagine that now, we've been down for four four to five weeks. So far, yes. So far. Um, All of those cases. uh, just, Just try to imagine how you reschedule. Uh, all of those cases. So, so you have the criminal trials that was the criminal trial that was supposed to take place on March 20th. Is that the first case you schedule on June 2nd? And if those attorneys aren't, aren't aren't available, how do you reschedule that date? And in the interim, you've got someone who may be incarcerated, maybe waiting. You've got witnesses that may not now be available as a result of either being sick or dying. Uh, you have witnesses that are going to legitimately say, I'm not going to a courtroom. Yes. Or I was exposed and I shouldn't be in a courtroom. So you have all those things you're going to have to handle going forward. Uh, remembering, uh, if you look at the Domestic Violence uh, um, Bureau, you've got temporary orders of protection, which were granted and only intended to be in place for a week or two, that have now been in place since early March. And may be in place until they can appear. Now, that order of protection may be to stay away from a sister or a brother or a wife or a child. Tough stuff. All right. This is Richard Solomon. Uh, this is Mark Carney from Lipsitz Green up in Buffalo. LGLaw.com. M. Carney at LGLaw.com. Stay tuned. Doing? This is Kerry Carney, and you are listening to Richard Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. Richard Solomon continuing the coverage on WCWP 88.1 FM, Brookville, New York, on the coronavirus pandemic uh, response. Uh, this segment is with noted attorney and past guest, Stephen Siegel, attorney in Garden City, 
who actually is in his office right now and is on the line. Thank you for taking your time to be with us. In this segment, let's talk about bankruptcy. Uh, I can imagine I can imagine that there is an enormous amount of financial stress out there, business, personal, the whole bit. Uh, let's talk about bankruptcy as a potential option for, let's start with business first. Well, you know, Richard, let me, um, let me describe the entire segment that we're going to have right now okay. as not something to be uh, ignored or to be embarrassed about or to be uh, resistant to. The segments that we're going to be discussing, bankruptcy, um, choice of business entities, corporations, uh, asset protection, these are all um, economy um, advancers. So, for instance, if there were um, only risk in our economy, there would be very few small startups. There would be very few mom and pop stores. You would find very few dry cleaners and pizza restaurants. You'd be, find very few um, entities that would be comfortable placing tremendous finances at risk. So bankruptcy, though it may appear at first glance to be um, a process that um, is harmful to the economy and certainly harmful to creditors, and um, there are different facets of bankruptcy that are not harmful to creditors um, and advantageous to people who owe money. But the choice of corporations often insulate uh, the individuals who are running and investing in the company a peace of mind that they will uh, be able to mediate their risk uh, under the corporations or uh, next to the corporations. You can have LLCs, limited liability companies. You can have limited liability partnerships, all of which are intended to advance the economy to encourage people to place their money at risk, to turn the money into the engine of the economy or engines. Uh, same thing for asset protection. If an investor, whether it be somebody who buys a dry cleaner or somebody who has a major corporation, if they came to conclude that they could be wiped out in the event of foreseen or unforeseen circumstances, there would be less growth and less investment. So though the areas of bankruptcy, uh, business entity choice, asset protection might seem to be um, drags on the economy. In fact, they are um, energizers of the economy and nothing to be embarrassed about. Okay. So let's let's talk about bankruptcy. Uh, okay. Look, it's only, only to start somewhere because we need to, to kind of – because sure. I, I, I get a lot of email questions because of the reporting that we're doing on the COVID-19, you know, can you do something on bankruptcy? I'm, I'm concerned about the viability of my business. I, I can't pay my commercial lease. I'm not sure how to uh, fend off creditors. Um, Landlords want money and I don't seem to have the cash flow to support it. I'm not sure if I need to continue or not. So let's really explore that. Okay. Well, I'll say this. Um, speaking only of New York State, um, and I'm certain many, if not all the other states, they have a moratorium on the commencement of a lawsuit. So when that moratorium um, and the, the uh, filing stay uh, opens up and people can start suing each other, there's going to be a deluge of creditors seeking to pull back money that's on the street. And when I say money on the street, 
That could be money that is owed, um, people who have judgments against others and they want to get that judgment satisfied and bring the money back to them. Uh, people who have loans out, uh, they want to get that loan money back to them. People who have commercial debt owed to them and they want to get that money brought back to them because there's a great fear that this economy is going to encourage tremendous bankruptcies, which will um, cause a loss or a modification of money that is owed. So first of all, um, the first thing that you notice when you look at the economy today is that we are so dearly interconnected that every restaurant has a fruit man, a uh, meat man, a provider of uh, vegetables, uh, tablecloths, uh, waiters, staff, waitress staff, and each one of them needs to be paid so they could pay their suppliers. When one or a corporation files for bankruptcy, um, every creditor who is suing or seeking uh, to be paid, uh, they automatically are stopped. It's called the automatic bankruptcy stay. That gives the debtor, um, the filer of the bankruptcy, a chance to catch their breath and to uh, evaluate their economic situation and try to figure out how they want to move forward. An individual who all of a sudden finds that they owe um, six months back rent uh, for their apartment, that back rent, um, there's been a stay in New York State of eviction, so ev eviction action, the filing of evictions. So if a tenant doesn't pay for six months and they were paying 2000 a month and they owe $12,000, and uh, they're sued, um, they may not have that $12,000. They can file the bankruptcy chapter seven and seek to discharge that uh, debt. Chapter seven is the section of bankruptcy code that causes certain debts to be discharged. Others cannot be discharged. Issues of fraud, issues of criminality, various other areas cannot be discharged. But basic economic um, commercial debt can be discharged. Number one, that gives you a tremendous advantage as a filer to negotiate a fair resolution of the debt with the person or company that you owe money to. Um, secondly, as I said, it gives you a chance to take a deep breath and figure out whether you want to go forward with this business, um, try to save it. And in today's economy, it is mind-boggling how everybody is economically uh, interconnected um, and everybody suddenly when the courts open are going to be um, free to bring an action and accordingly the courts will be swamped uh, justice or um, resolution will be delayed um, i can't even imagine what it's going to look like when the doors to the courthouse are opened uh, there's a chapter 13 for consumers, which uh, a consumer can decide that they want to pay, um, but they also want to um, work compromises out with their creditors. Um, chapter 13 is a vehicle that stops the harassing phone calls and litigation, but it also allows the uh, person who filed to speak to people they want to do business with in the future 
and try to work out payouts, uh, compromises, under the authority of the bankruptcy court, a separate court from all the other courts um, in the country. That would be a chapter um, 13. Now, if you've got a business and you also want to continue uh, doing business with the people you've been doing with business with for perhaps 20 years, uh, that stops all the actions and you can work out compromises under the auspices of the bankruptcy court um, so that everybody is somewhat unhappy and somewhat happy and perhaps the business relationships can proceed. So where many people think the filing of the bankruptcy is um, something that should be considered uh, negatively and avoided at all costs, in fact, it is a major driver of uh, our economy, both locally and uh, not. So one of the questions that I have is, let's just talk a little bit about filing. Because uh, you said something very important, which is if you file and you file fast, that that is like the timeout, right? In sports, it's like the big T, and that stops the the pursuits and all this other stuff. That's correct. Uh, absolutely. Um, I want to reassure your audience that a bankruptcy filing can be filed immediately, certainly within twenty four hours. Uh, thereafter. Um, the attorney who you've uh, chosen uh, has to complete various um, information, documents, documentation uh, within a short period of time. But from the minute that the bankruptcy petition is filed, uh, you have now filed for bankruptcy. Uh, the information that has to be provided would be provided um, by your attorney, such as those people who are seeking money from you how much they're seeking, um, those people who um, you owe money to or your company owes money to, um, certain biographical and historical information about the company or the individual, and um, it starts the process. There'll be a, a, a trustee in bankruptcy to evaluate the accuracy of the claims. Um, there may be objections to bankruptcies. Uh, a person who is on the other side of the bankruptcy may object and say that um, what is being uh, offered as truth is not true, it's exaggerated or minimized, that the um, company or individual who's um, named them as a person or entity to um, have their debt discharged, meaning um, uh, negated, um, that the money, the number that would be negated is uh, too high or too low, but they can contest it and say that it, uh, there was fraud involved. Bankruptcy, bankruptcy will never protect an individual who has committed fraud or criminality. Um, and there are various other exceptions that will limit a um, filer, a petitioner in bankruptcy to um, get out from under debt. Um, real fast, while, while we're here, in this particular segment, do you have a phone number and a contact if people want to actually ask you about this directly? I'll say this. Um, knowing that the gates to the courthouse will be open fairly suddenly and there will be a backlog of um, companies and individuals that will rush to file 
complaints seeking money, um, I've put together an organization to uh, file bankruptcy petitions as quick as humanly possible. Uh, sometimes within 24 hours, sometimes less, sometimes a little bit longer with the understanding that the um, material that will be entered into the bankruptcy will take a little bit longer. So the phone number for that would be uh, 1833-FILE-FAST. That's F-I-L-E-F-A-S-T. There'll be somebody on the other end of the phone to take the immediate information, uh, take uh, credit card information, and have your bankruptcy filed as soon as humanly possible. I know. That would be 833 file fast. Right. So let's go back to, we only have a couple of minutes left in this segment. Now, when you talk about objections to bankruptcy, I assume that, well, he owes the money, she owes the money. <laughs> That's not an objection, right? Uh, no, not yeah. at all. Right. But, but if there is an allegation to just fraud, so that um, one company said that they were going to uh, provide a certain amount of uh, uh, product within a certain time period, and the uh, petitioner is uh, describing that as a breach of contract when, in fact, the um, person seeking money or the company seeking money is going to say that, no, that was fraud, that they never intended to deliver the product on the date or in the condition uh, that uh, the contract called for. That would just spur, spark a hearing in which a bankruptcy judge would determine whether, in fact, it was fraud or not and whether that debt is dischargeable or not, uh, forgivable or not. Um, the best way to describe bankruptcy, uh, other than in any negative sense, is that it is a fresh start. If we didn't protect companies and people from tremendous risk of loss, uh, there'd be significant less investment in small businesses and large. So um, when inadvertently uh, things don't go as planned, uh, the bankruptcy code allows for a fresh start. Um, it's a remarkably generous and forgiving statute. Now, we only have two minutes left, but uh, could you comment on whether or not people should wait until the well is completely dry before they do this, or should they do something else uh, in anticipation of a financial apocalypse? Well, knowing that um, we are within a short period of time in which the uh, doors to the courthouse will be open for everybody, um, I think the sooner there is planning and preparation, uh, the better anybody and every company would be. Um, judgments, um, some may be senior, meaning um, first in line to others. Uh, mortgages and loans may be senior some uh, to others. Um, you need to contact the lawyer and start planning if you think you're going to have some problems um, so that when the filing is allowed, um, filing meaning in state court uh, to collect uh, money, that you are in a position to act quickly, swiftly, and effectively. All right. So uh, just for the purpose of this segment, it's what's the phone number again? Um, Steven Siegel, the number is 1-833-FILE-FAST, okay. 833-FILE-FAST. And we assure you that we place 
the um, the client's interest in prompt movement legally uh, at the top of our list. All right. Hi, this is Richard Solomon with my guest, Steve Siegel. By the way, Steve has been a past guest. He's, you can find some of his archive material on our YouTube site, uh, which has got the moniker TCB Radio, WCWP, if you do a search. Uh, stay tuned for more. Hey, this is Jeff Matson, the Dark Star Orchestra, and you're listening to Richard Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. Richard Solomon, Taking Care of Business, 88.1 FM, WCWP. Steve Siegel, noted attorney and very good friend, former guest, and a friend of the show. So we're talking about COVID-19 and the emergency response information that we're trying to provide to the uh, listening community. And... This particular segment in isolation is going to be uh, in part about forming new businesses and forming new legal structures, or as we call it, the trade entities. Let's talk about that. Um, I I assume that people are going to be buying businesses and selling businesses. A lot of flux will be happening. Uh, But for the people who are on the creating side or organizing, do you recommend generally, not specifically, because we're not here to give legal advice, but do you generally recommend brand new corporations that have new corporate initiation dates? Well, there's no question about the fact that um, if you want a fresh start, similar to what a bankruptcy will provide, then you want a fresh corporation. Uh, There are a lot of consequences to opening up a fresh corporation, particularly in what you communicate to your creditors. And there's certain licenses held by the existing corporation that might or would have to be transferred to new corporations. Some of them are easier to have and get than others, such as um, a liquor license is a very difficult thing to get. So if you're in a restaurant and you want to go from uh, Raleigh uh, Bar and Grill to Raleigh Grill and Bar, uh, and you want to start a new corporation, uh, you may have a problem with the transfer, with a quick and prompt transfer of a liquor license. Um, but, But let me just touch for a quick second on the question that I think a lot of people have on their mind, which is, does my present corporation protect me from losing personal money? And the answer is, in most cases, the answer is yes. Um, if you are running a dry cleaner or a vegetable company, um, if it turns out that you get the company gets sued for breach of contract or non-payment of a loan or any of the uh, causes of action that exist in commercial um, businesses and networking and uh, the economy, uh, the limitation would be that they would, the creditors, the people who are seeking money, would uh, have a judgment against the corporation. And in many cases, a uh, owner of a corporation will take the keys and throw it in the uh, sewer and open up another corporation. Uh, there are some situations where um, the law calls it piercing the corporate veil in which a, um, a claim can go right through the corporate structure and um, make the owner responsible. Um, one of the most aggressive claims is a wage and hour claim. A, if there's a claim that the corporation hasn't paid their employees, um, the law would be the Fair Labor Standard Act or the New York State Wage Theft Prevention Act, 
Um, if there is a um, claim and if it's successful, it not only can breach, pierce the corporate veil, reach the owners, but it can also reach employees who are managers um, and hold them personally responsible. And the fines, the penalties, uh, the legal fees are uh, uh, very, very difficult, very high and very punitive. So that's one of the ways that a corporation could be pierced. But in 99% of the time, um, your audience could put their head on the pillow every night and feel that no matter what happens, um, they're not going to have their personal assets attached. Now, getting to what you would ask me about, um, corporations are just one business entity, and there are others. Um, the driver of our, corp of our economy is uh, the shielding of assets. If everybody's assets were exposed, there would be much less growth and much less risk and um, much less advancement within the economy. So certain entities and certain business practices can limit a personal exposure of personal assets or um, terminate any access to personal assets. First thing is a corporation. Uh, choices when you form a corporation, the fun part is the name. You provide three or four names to your lawyer and um, if they're available with the Department of State, uh, you own it, yours. You can have a corporation and then you can name it something else. You can file it doing business as certificate. So it could be uh, Jones Corporation doing business as uh, High Flyers Inc. Uh, I'm sorry, High Flyers uh, Company. Um, then within the corporation, if there are others besides one individual, then you want to have a contract uh, which would anticipate certain things and uh, certain developments, uh, a, a shareholder wants to leave the company. Um, is he free to sell his share to anybody or is he limited into in who to sell his share of the corporation to? Um, if he dies, um, where to form your corporation, certain states have a better um, aspects to their law for corporations than others. Uh, you might want to file your corporation in Nevada, Wyoming. Um, and have it do business, license to do business in the state of New York, if that's where your business is. Um, you get a tax ID number so that it's a separate entity. Very important is to decide whether you want to do an IRS, subchapter S designation, a, a C corporation, which is what every corporation starts as, um, gets taxed, and then the profit goes down to the shareholders who they get taxed, so it's a double taxation. Um, most small businesses file a subchapter S designation so that it's treated as one. The corporation and the owners are treated as one and there's not double taxation. There's a certain short period of time to file and your accountant would file the document hopefully within that time period. Um, so in addition to the uh, articles of incorporation, you can have bylaws which also set forth the rights and obligations of the parties. Uh, the designation of who's going to be the president, vice president, those are really more just organizational um, uh, assignments. It doesn't have any uh, shielding of uh, corporate or personal assets. You can also do business as a limited liability company, an LLC. The LLC offers different tax um, advantages and disadvantages, and very similar to um, 
the formation of a corporation, an LLC is a little bit more expensive. The LLC requires a certain publication in newspapers and other expenses that a corporation does not require. Uh, an LLC can, uh, would have um, membership and there can be a managing member and there can be a limited members. Um, they also shield from general commercial um, obligations, claims. Um, if you have a professional limited liability corporation, that would be an architect, a doctor, a lawyer, uh, that entity would shield from commercial claims but would not shield from malpractice. Uh, none of these entities shield from malpractice. Um, thereafter, and similar to corporations, you would have articles of organization, you'd have operating agreements, you could even have a single member LLC um, that could do business in various states. You can have a limited liability partnership in which the parties are partners. You can have a general partner and limited partners. Uh, there are different um, exposures for uh, the general partner than for limited partners. Limited partners generally are investors entitled to certain return on their investment where the general partner is essentially the operating partner and would be in a position to um, shield himself uh, through that LLP from um, claims. The choice of your business entity, the choice of the state in which they would be um, incorporated or filed in, um, has many facets to that decision and those decisions need to be discussed with a lawyer who's familiar with that type of decision. Now, let's talk about where you incorporate. Not, not that it's done in Albany, but the, the you know, 62 counties are, are comprised New York State. Assuming you're a new corporation and you're doing it within the state, what are the general guiding principles about venue, as they say? Well, I will say this. Um, if creditors would be seeking to bring an action, up the road, if you anticipate that you'd like to shield your corporation, your LLC, your LLP, um, even more than the usual protection it provides, uh, you might want to incorporate in a distant uh, county uh, so that most lawsuits would have to be brought in an inconvenient county to creditors. Um, that would be considered venue. If there's a lawsuit and a choice of venue, there are laws which would um, identify which venues would be acceptable, one of which is where the corporation is incorporated. Um, if it is incorporated in a distant county and nobody raises the issue, then the lawyers have to travel or you have to retain counsel in um, Onondaga County even though all the business is done in Queens County. Um, now, other now, than that, now, it's the same state tax. Right now, with the COVID-19 response right now, as we mark today, mm-hmm. court appearances will at some time when the courts reopen most likely be virtual for a while. So the, the trekking of far distances may not be as onerous uh, as they once were, at least for now, at least for now. 
That, that's gonna you be- know what? That's absolutely true. But I must have spoken to um, a dozen judges uh, as recently as two hours ago today. And we were talking about what will happen when the courts open up. And uh, the answer is nobody knows. Um, you know, the pillar of the jurisprudence of our entire country is the jury trial, different from other countries. Um, how are we going to get jurors, uh, citizens to obey um, jury summonses and sit in a small room and um, be interviewed and be selected and serve on a jury when they do not know the health of strangers who are sitting next to them, as close as, as inches. In terms of virtual court, uh, there is presently um, the beginning stages of having virtual court appearances, which would obviate having to travel. But at the end of the day, if the case is not settled, then it has to be tried, and it has to be tried in the county in which the corporation or the other entity is uh, filed in. Um, now, you can enter into contracts where the parties agree that uh, a county will be the county in which any lawsuits will be resolved, just like an entity can decide in an agreement as to which state's um, controversy will be adjudicated. Right now, it's so much in flux that nobody really knows what the plan is going to be, uh, both criminal and civil. You know, to get 12 people in a criminal case to sit shoulder to shoulder for a month to listen to testimony um, is, is a frightening thought. Uh, a criminal judge today told me that they would place the jurors in the, um, the audience, in the uh, rows separating them from um, each other. That's fine, but then when and how do they deliberate at the end of the trial? Right. Not every courthouse has enough. Not every courthouse has courtrooms that are large enough to accommodate that. I guess they'd have to move things around because and then, you know, the as you said, you know, those jury deliberation rooms, which I've seen, uh, you know, one little bathroom (laughs) against, uh, you know, juxtaposed to a room with uh, uh, very close quarters and a pitcher of water uh, and some paper cups. You know, it's. (laughs) You know, right. that. And how did you get to that room? Did you take a staircase and touch the handles? Did you go in an elevator and have to touch something to get to the floor? Absolutely. I mean, you know, these are all these are all big issues that the court system. Now, I'll tell you this: um, the the U.S. and the state of New York Constitution requires that a defendant charged with a crime have a speedy trial. Well, how do you get a speedy trial if somebody had been arrested, let's say, uh, three months ago, and the courts have been down for three months? Um, that's something that a constitution would have to be changed if you're going to change it. Some judge said to me that there would be closed circuit um, uh, viewing by jurors. Um, I'm uncomfortable with that because if the uh, camera person focuses on the testifying witness in the witness box um, and the jurors are watching that closed circuit, they're not free to look at the other subtleties of the trial which is the judge's demeanor, which is the uh, defense attorney's demeanor, the prosecuting attorney's demeanor, um, how the witness walked up to the um, witness box. They would be limited only to what the uh, camera person 
would be showing, which would be the witness. On the other hand, if the camera person was free to um, choose the images that they wanted to put on the screen and show to the jurors, um, that could shade and influence the outcome. Because let's say the prosecutor accidentally dropped a big folder of files and spends three minutes collecting them. And if the camera's on that prosecutor for the whole three minutes, but that prosecutor might wind up losing um, credibility or uh, the belief that that prosecutor is organized and effective. I don't know what the result's going to be, but we are living in a brand new world. And of course, what does that mean? That means appeals are plenty because um, almost every situation is going to be ripe for an appeal based upon the procedural atmospherics. And, you know, we're starting from day one. It's not like we have 100 years of jurisprudence to guide us. Other cases that have shown us um, what the courts have decided, we would be starting from scratch. Um, the other thing that very, very much concerns me is the backlog. Um, there'll be a backlog of appeals, but there'll also be a backlog of trials and court appearances. And when the doors to the courthouse open up, um, it, it's going to look like Armageddon. <laughs> and and um, a slow justice is often no justice at all. all right, we only have 30 seconds left. What is your phone number for people who need to incorporate or talk to you about any legal issue that they uh, seem to desire? 516-665-2800. That number forwards to my cell phone. And in the event of emergency, I'm always reachable. Um, days, nights, and weekends. All right. Keep it locked in. Richard Solomon.